Good morning. I again like to ask for your attention, some considerations and practice. This morning, um, I'd like to continue my sequence on the four forms of establishment of mindfulness, or more precisely on the key terms in the four satipatthanas. Spoke of the theme on Vedana yesterday, and would like to speak something uh, about the topic of citta. Uh, usually we translate it somewhat haplessly as mind, um, uh, a rubber term if there ever was any in um, quite confusing ways. As you may know, languages don't map neatly one onto the other, and they even do worse than that when the languages and the cultures that are trying to be mapped one in the other uh, are further apart, as is the case between something like Pali and something like English. Even though there is a, a distant relationship between those two languages, you may or may not know that, Soup in Pali means supang, so it's closer than you may think. Um, in the case of some of the key terms, obviously this close this relationship doesn't work out so well. So we're struggling. Many of the key Pali terms, looking for a good home in English, and it's not easy to find such a home because they don't squarely correspond to some of our notions, particularly not our psychological notions or our philosophical notions. Chitta is just one example of them. So the term mind, <clears throat> although established by now, is not actually a very accurate depiction of what the chitta is. Things are not helped by the fact that Buddhist tradition has quite a breadth of interpretation of what a chitta is. So if we ask the Abhidhamma, then a chitta is just a tiny little flicker of an event in our mind. Uh, it is more cognitive than anything else. And if we ask the suttas, chittas suddenly are something slightly different. So chittas seem to last longer. Chittas seem to have more of a coherence. Uh, chittas are purified. Chittas are developed. So... Let me look at this from the point of view of the suttas and um, approach that term. First of all, that citta is said to be capable of great intuitions. The citta is capable of being developed, it is capable of being purified, it is capable of profound understanding, it is capable of developing wisdom, it is capable of being immeasurable when it is expansive but unfortunately the chitta is also easily seduced it can be you know taken for a ride it can be has its has the wool pulled over its eyes it can be contracted it can be deluded it can be uh, dragged around by desire and aversion um, so we're basically left with something that has a tremendous potential at the same time seems to be the, uh, the scene of much habit, much defilement, much um, just capriciousness. 
In fact, one of the um, classic images of the citta speaks of it in such ways. I want to quote that properly, so I wrote it down for you. It's from the Asutava Sutta in the Nidana Samyutta of the group sayings or the connected discourses. I quote, although monks, whatever is called mind and mental faculties in consciousness will manifest as one thing only to vanish as another by day and by night. Monks, just as a monkey, ranging the forest takes hold of one branch and letting go, letting that go, takes hold of another. Such it is, monks, that which is called mind and mental faculties and consciousness. It will manifest as one thing only to vanish as another by day and by night. So, that basically leaves us with an image of that chitta as a monkey, gifted athlete, at the same time somewhat restless, grasping one thing, taking that one thing, swinging itself to the next thing, leaving the first thing and moving on with the second thing. If you've ever seen a monkey doing that, um, you know what this means. Uh, There's something, quite a vigorous display of athletic skill, at the same time, it does not seem to generate a lot of insight, wisdom, um, or it doesn't seem to be a real powerful symbol of contentment either. Yeah? This is, there's a lot of movement there and not much stillness. There's a lot of action there and not much insight. So we are told that the citta is <clears throat> fast and rapidly changing that it is restless, and that it grasps of things. That's another of the faculties of the citta. At the same time, you know, we're told that the citta basically is uh, radiant, that when it is troubled and when it is um, afflicted with impurities, that these impurities are not actually intrinsic to the citta, but that they are visiting, yeah, that they're coming from outside, which is good news. Um, Meaning, in some way, if we make that citta more still, if we learn to understand the functioning of that citta, and if we find out about the conditions that bring the wholesome aspect of these cittas to the fore, then we don't actually need to produce wholesomeness as such. All it takes is to stop producing the unwholesome stuff and the intrinsic nature of the citta will kind of come through. Some traditions, particularly later Buddhist traditions, have made a lot of that. In Tibetan tradition you find the kind of intrinsic goodness, the intrinsic luminosity of the citta, the intrinsic uh, power of the citta being particularly strongly emphasized. Early Buddhism is more trouble-oriented. It seems to focus a lot on um, trying to understand things we don't understand, trying to purify things which are full of habits and inclinations that not necessarily help our understanding, and polishing. The terms used here for mind is citta. The term for mental faculties in my quote is uh, mana. And the term for consciousness is uh, vijnana. In a rare instance, There aren't many instances. These three terms are identified with each other here. 
If we look at some other teachings, we see a slight distribution of task. The vinyana part often is attributed the task of more of awareness. The manas task is attributed more the task of cognitive functioning. And the citta part is generally attributed more the affective, emotional dimension of what we would call mind. So, where does that leave us as practitioners? In the Satipatthana Sutta, as you I'm sure are aware, you have Chitta Nupassana, the contemplation of mind state. And we are asked to look at particular states of mind. Maybe a word on those states. It's important to understand that Chitta is not a thing. Chitta is not a personality. Chitta is, strictly speaking, not even a process. It's kind of a snapshot of our mental mindset at this particular moment. It's kind of like a snapshot. Chitta is, technically speaking, not very intentional. There are other forces in the Chitta at work that take care of the intentional side. Generally, those would be forms of Chetana or uh, Sankara, depending which um, angle you're looking at the Chitta. So we have, think of the Chitta as a, a momentary snapshot of your particular mindset, of your particular frame of mind, or of your particular state of mind. So in the Satipatthana Sutta, we are encouraged to contemplate the state of mind we are currently in. We are asked to look with a certain number of questions and investigate into that particular state. The questions are not difficult. They ask, is this a mind state that I am now experiencing? Is this mind state uh, free from desire or is there desire operating? As this mind state I am now experiencing um, free from hatred or is it afflicted with hatred and aversion as I experience this mind's quality right now? I'm I'm asking, is this mind state free from delusion or is it afflicted with forms of delusion? Which is already a tricky question. How would I know that my mind is deluded? If delusion is really part of this mind state, how would I be able to recognize delusion? This is more difficult. A greedy mind, when it goes really greedy, generally the meters go into the red and we know that we're greedy. After a certain intensity is uh, trespassed, generally even we know, usually after everybody else, that we're greedy. If we're angry or hateful, even as we become aware of this after a certain intensity is surpassed. Generally, other people are more aware of this. They see the change, the hardness in our look, the kind of the stopping of the smile, you know, the furrows above our, on our forehead, or just a slight edgy quality that comes into our facial expression. So often other people are more early aware of the uh, afflictive mind state. But if a certain intensity is reached, even we become aware of this. Now with delusion, it's not quite the same. Delusion doesn't come at us with a big sign around its neck saying, I am delusion. 
Yeah? It does not self-declare itself. So delusion is more tricky. So telltale signs of delusion are doubt, confusion, contradictoriness, vacillation, um, fear, a worry, um, irrational shifts in our mood are often have something to do with not understanding something, not seeing the whole picture. So those, those would be indications. We would need some more time to go into the depth of this. But then we're asked whether that mind, as we experience it currently, is elevated. That's an interesting word. If it is mahagata, if it has become big, or if it is um, undeveloped. So we're asked to rate the quality of our mind, if it is extraordinary, or if it is kind of run-of-the-mill sort of mind state. We're asked to find out whether the mind state is contracted, yeah, shriveled, or whether it is distracted, scattered. Yeah. You notice we're not just asked after useful stuff, we're also asking after not so useful stuff. And we're asked to know, pajanati, to understand and to contemplate, yeah, anupasati, to, to be with to hold a relationship to the quality of that state without fueling it, obviously, and without splitting off from it. We're asked to uh, see whether the state of mind we experience is surpassable or if it is already unsurpassable. Is this an unsurpassable state of happiness? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid this is a highly surpassable state of happiness right now. You know, I could imagine this to be a lot more happy than it is right now. For example, we're asked to find whether this state of mind is collected, whether it is the chitta is in samadhi, or whether the mind state we currently experience is not in samadhi. We're asked to find out whether the state of mind we experience is liberated, or whether, there's, whether it is unfree. Yeah. So this whole list of qualities are verbatim mentioned in the Chitta section of the Satipatthana Sutta. So if you're practicing open awareness, drop a question into that open awareness. Yeah. It's good to reference some of the stuff I'm experiencing not just to the universe, but to actually specific qualities, specific qualities that are in some way pertinent and germane to the awakening process. At least that is what we are suggested in the Satipatthana exercises. It may come as a surprise to some of you that it is actually necessary to reference some of the stuff I experience to these qualities. Collection, collectedness in terms of samadhi, liberation, in terms of the things that keep me from liberation, uh, surpassable, not surpassable, yeah. am I at the top? Is this really as much as possible or is this not? Uh, is the mind contracted yeah, as a, an unhelpful quality for mm, crystalline form that is not malleable, as the suttas speak of it, is not workable? Or is it distracted, scattered? Again, a state that is not particularly useful. 
Or can I identify specific the forms of impurities, desire, aversion, forms of delusion? The idea of Chittanupassana as a practice, and this is the most difficult of the four Satipatthanas, is to purify, to develop, and to expand. Now, strangely enough, you know, we speak more of body awareness and maybe even um, than we speak of mind contemplation. Practically much of the work as a meditator, as an introspective practitioner, happens in the domain of citta and upasana. That is where suffering happens, that's where happiness happens, that's where concentration happens, that's where we fail, that's where uh, we feel bad about ourselves or we feel good about ourselves. All these things are the complex formations that take place within the domain of citta. While body is relatively straightforward and never lies. Bodies, that's the nice thing about them, they never lie. If they hurt, they hurt. If they feel good, they feel good. They tell you so. Vedana, the feeling tone in our experience, is also relatively straightforward. It may be starkly unpleasant or it may be dramatically pleasant, but it generally tells us so. And it's generally lasting not very long. It's not a complicated structure of Vedana. It doesn't talk in long sentences. It just makes ah, or it makes ooh, yeah? Now, chitta is a different story. Chitta is the climate of this mind. It's the inner weather condition. A chitta may last for quite some time. If you get up grumpy and then the breakfast doesn't doesn't cut it and then your first meditation isn't really lifting off, you can... You can live in that chitta for quite some time. You You can prolong with a little unskillful practice, you can prolong that chitta for quite a morning, quite a morning and an afternoon. So, the chitta is affecting our cognitive function, it is affecting our affective functions, it is affecting our sensory functioning. When I'm angry, I don't see very clearly. Not just do I not feel and think very clearly, but I, you may know, notice that some, people, some people's hearing actually gets literally worse if, if they're angry. Yeah. They don't sensorily pick up on things. So the citta, or the state of the citta, is having a powerful effect on all dimensions of our experience. If this chitta is depressed, my body will start to slump, my shoulders will start to droop, my face will start to look, go into a sort of basset expression. Yeah? Um, so the chitta, in its quality, is having effects on our cognitive, our affective, our somatic functioning. And that's why it is so challenging to work directly with chitta states. That's why we need stillness. That's why we need clarity of process to be able to distinguish body states, feeling tones, mental process as in the Dhammas. Unless we are capable of orienting in this complicated terrain and unless we are able to still the mind and to understand the connections between what we do and what effect that has on the mind quality, it is very difficult to work with Chitta Nupasana.
a very telling passage in the Majjhima Nikaya. A sutta tells us uh, a few monks speaking together. They have spent a wonderful evening, beautiful evening, blossoms are out, moon is out. And these are all kind of great luminaries of the Buddha's topmost disciples. And they kind of have a little chat. And they say, this is a very beautiful place. This is a wonderful night. You know, the air is full of scents. Which bhikkhu would adorn this place? And then uh, a number of them speak about what they think are most precious qualities in a bhikkhu. So Revata says, um, you know, a bhikkhu who can meditate, that would be good here. That would be really a, a blessing for this place. Uh, Mogalana says, a bhikkhu who, two bhikkhus who speak in Dhamma freely and one responding to the other without, interlo- without breaks. This would be uh, people adorning this place. And so forth. There's a few more. I don't want to go into all of them. But Sariputta, after having asked all of them, is then finally in turn asked himself, uh, what would be the, the, the practitioner that adorns at this lovely evening that place here? And Sariputta says, um, a practitioner who is not under the authority of his mind, but a bhikkhu who is exerting authority over his mind. In other words, who is not a slave of his mind states, but somebody who has actually mastery over his mind states or her mind states. Contemplate that for a moment. And then let us practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.